Hi, this is your host, Nisa Harris, and you are listening to Shomea Ve'ona Tehillim and Other Hebrew Texts Podcast, episode 58. The following is the recitation of Psalm 53, a.k.a. Perek or Mizmor Nun Gimel. After the recitation, stay tuned to hear more about this Mizmor. Psalm 53 Lamnatseach al Machalat Maskil le David Amar Naval Belibo Ein Elohim Hishchitu Vehit Ivu Avel Ein Ose Tov Elohim Mishamayim Hishkif Al Bnei Adam Lir Ot Hayesh Maskil Doresh Et Elohim Kulo Sag Yachdav Ne'elachu Ein ose tov Ein gam echad Halo yad'u Poalei aven Ochlei ami Achlu lechem Elohim lo kara'u Sham Pahadu Fahad Lo Haya Fahad Ki Elohim Pizar Atmot Honach Heavy Shota Ki Elohim Maasam Mi Yitain Mitzion Yeshuot Yisrael Beshuv Elohim Shvut Amo Yagel Yaakov Yismach Yisrael. Psalm 53 is a short psalm that is almost an exact repetition of Psalm 14, save for the different uses of Hashem's name and some minor words here and there. It's interesting that the canonization chose to include a psalm so similar a second time. And some commentators believe that these small differences show the two different ways in which Hashem will redeem the Jewish people. One way would be because it's time to be redeemed, and the other would be sooner because we are actually deserving. Other commentaries look into the different time periods that took place when the psalm were said, namely the first said in the first time uh, that Beit HaMikdash was destroyed by the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, 
And this one harkens back to that same feeling that is now occurring during the times of the destruction of the second temple with Titus. Rashi mentions that. I have heard other commentaries look at this psalm as hinting to specific characters in the Tanakh, for example, Navel, and learning out lessons that way. What I find interesting in this psalm is, unlike 14, uh, it is the only psalm we have seen so far that has maskil, the word, at the beginning and also in the middle of it. In Pasuk 3, where the psalm describes Hashem looking out over mankind to see Hayesh maskil doresh et Elohim, is there a man of understanding, a man mindful of God? In Pasuk 2, we already discovered that the Navel, the degraded man, said in his heart, Ein Elohim, there is no God, and Ein Oset Tov, not one does good. I kind of imagine that in this psalm, you have come across a Nazi concentration camp, and you don't see one oppressor doing anything good. It got me thinking about how people get to such a debased state of being, just so corrupt. And so I wanted to just kind of tease that aspect out. I was listening to a TED Talk by Bob Neese about how to trick yourself into doing a good behavior. And he made a really interesting observation. He said, bad actions usually don't stem from bad intentions. Bad actions typically stem from good intentions that were not acted on. In other words, he is proposing that people are actually generally more good than they are bad and don't intend to do bad or evil or misbehave, etc. the majority of the time. But if there wasn't something that you did to help the good action happen, that is when the bad happens. What am I talking about? So my husband told me about this alarm clock called Clocky that was wildly successful despite never being advertised at all. Clocky is designed to roll around the floor when the alarm goes off, forcing the person to get out of their covers and catch the alarm to turn it off. It sounds annoying to me, but that is exactly why it was so popular. People were rationally wanting to do the appropriate behavior and wake up on time and therefore made sure to act on their good intention and buy a clock that would help to overcome their lazy desire to stay in bed. Okay, so how can we apply this principle of rationally acting on good intentions to people that do or don't believe in God? The Gemara in Sota Daf Gimel Amud Aleph says, A man commits a transgression only if a spirit of foolishness enters him. Ruach Shtut. Specifically referring to how a man who generally believes in God is capable of sin, etc. because he was in an irrational state of mind. Okay, so we have come to understand at this point that even Jewish texts recognize that there is no hope of maintaining self-control and choosing to do the right thing when your rational side, the part that deliberates and analyzes and looks into the future, is overcome by an irrational and emotional, emotional side, the instinctive part that feels pain and pleasure, right? So unless you spray Windex on your french fries that you have been craving that are beyond your diet limitations, you are likely to succumb to emotional temptation. Let's take this a step further. Now bear with me because I think it'll be worth your while. There was a study 
that told college students that they were testing food perception and they were asked to come hungry. They had one bowl of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies and another bowl of radishes, and they were told this was selected because of highly distinctive tastes and that later they would be asked about the taste sensations when they eat when eating them. Half the group were asked to eat the two to three cookies, but no radishes, and the other half were asked to eat radishes, but no cookies. The researchers left the room and were aiming to start temptation, watching as the radish eaters enviously wanted to eat the cookies, while the cookie eaters did not struggle with not eating the radishes, surprisingly. All people had the willpower and despite temptation, stuck with what they ate. The test was said to be over, and the researchers came in with a seemingly unrelated second study, asking the question, who is better at solving problems, college students or high school students, meant to have them take the test seriously, because of course they would want to win. They were challenged with what was unknowingly unsolvable puzzles, with the ability to try as many times as they wanted. The researchers wanted to see how long the college students would persist in a long, difficult task until they finally gave up. The untempted students, who didn't have to resist the chocolate chip cookies, spent 19 minutes on the task, making 34 attempts to solve the problems. The radish eaters, who were not as persistent and gave up after only eight minutes, less than half the time of the cookie eaters, and only managed 19 attempts. Why did they quit so easily? Put simply, they ran out of self-control. The authors Chip and Dan Heath from the book Switch explain that psychologists have researched that self-control is like an exhaustive resource. That was surprising to me. Like doing bench presses at the gym. The first one is easy when your muscles are fresh, but with each additional repetition, your muscles get exhausted until you can't lift the bar again. The radish eaters drained their self-control by resisting the cookie. So when their emotional side started to complain, we can't do this puzzle, their rational side gave up. Whereas the cookie eaters had a fresh emotional side because there had been no struggle prior. In this psalm, we see what happens to humans that have not rationally acted on good intentions. They have become corrupt to the point where there is not one that shows that they are capable of doing good. This psalm helped me appreciate the siag, the fence, that our sages have put around our belief in Hashem and the Torah. We trust that self-control exists, but at the same time, the radish study highlights our limited reserves for maintaining self-control after it's been exhausted, and the system of harchakot, the laws of distance that distance us from even getting close to going against a biblical law, recognize our limited well of self-control and seek to help us maintain it so that we can make more rational decisions to make the world filled with more good intentions and good actions to follow. We are all human, and whether you believe or don't believe in God, are capable of succumbing to temptation and letting the emotional overtake the rational, whether in the realm of your health, your interpersonal relationships, behavior, religion, etc. The question is, 
what rational good intentions will you set into place beforehand to ensure a positive successful outcome? Whether it's getting yourself a clocky or Windex or following the safeguards that our sages have put into place as our guide to set us up for success and help make the world an overall better place. May we be blessed to make good decisions of sober mind that can protect us and serve us and those around us for the good and help overcome that ruach shut that we may come across in our lives. The learning and recitation for this episode is Lilulei Nishmat, Rabbi Dr. Avraham Tversky, who passed away this week, Aleva Shalom, and was a strong advocate for addiction and understood this type of behavioral psychology and how it affected even those who aimed to have good intentions. May all who are struggling with issues of addiction come to a place of complete healing of mind, body, and soul. Please stay tuned until after this quick break. that you would like to sponsor or if you have any questions please email me at nurseNisa1 N-U-R-S-E-N-I-S-A the number one at gmail.com also don't forget to join the Facebook group to be aware of upcoming episodes please subscribe and share thank you for joining okay.